May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. This is the second of a three-part series where we hear from Fibronation, from listeners like you who are living with fibromyalgia. Today we are going to hear from Amy, who is from New Zealand, and she is going to share her fibro story. This is the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician, an internal medicine doctor, as well as a clinical lipidologist and diplomat of the Board of Lifestyle Medicine. I also am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. The book and podcast are meant for people living with fibromyalgia, their loved ones, as well as doctors and others in the medical field who want to up their game when it comes to living better with fibromyalgia and related problems. Remember that this podcast is meant for informational purposes only. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual doctor. And now on to this week's episode. Amy is a listener from New Zealand who sent me an email a while back expressing frustration after having to wait a year to finally see a rheumatologist for what she thought was fibromyalgia only to be rebuffed because she didn't have the required number of trigger points. We will hear about her journey with fibromyalgia. So I went private to an orthopedic specialist and he said you need a rheumatologist so this is probably a year on of going back and forth to GP. And so the orthopedic specialist said, you need rheumatology. And he said something about inflammation. And I was under the impression up until then that I had no inflammation from my GP. Then once he had said that and the letter had gone back to my GP, I thought they had referred me to rheumatology. And I was also sitting in this position where doing that terrible thing where you Google it endlessly, going, okay, now I've got inflammation and I'm feeling all these things. And for me, what it looked like was lupus. So I'm going, I'm sure I've got lupus because I've got what matches either fibromyalgia or lupus. So I was stressing about it for months, but waiting for this rheumatology appointment to come up. I rang up the rheumatology department and it turned out that I wasn't even booked in. So then I went back to my doctor and then I said, I don't care if it's public or private, whatever, I'll pay for it. I just wanted an answer. And so she booked me public and private. So I booked up the private one and then he, and then COVID hit and then I got COVID. And then at the same time she put me through public. So then I ended up going through public, but, it just took months and months and then basically I had this appointment with rheumatology and they literally did 
a few tender points say, yeah, and oh, my fate. And the guy asked me a couple of questions. It was so quick. I know, I know they're chopper. They're so under the pump. Like they just had locums. And the hospital is three hours from here. So he just did test again, said there's no inflammation. No, no idea what's happening. Don't even know if I'm mentoring my doctor. No, nobody told me anything. So I went back to my GP. She got the nurse ring back. She said, bring back the hospital. The hospital was like, there'll be a follow-up appointment, my follow-up appointment. So this is two years in, my follow-up appointment, the check, same thing, did the 10 points, asked me a couple of questions. It was basically like the bad sleep thing. She was like, maybe you need to exercise more. Shit, I exercise so much. And I think it's to my detriment most of the time with us. And my job's physical. And then she said, <laughs> I was going to the toilet all the time of the night. And she said, oh, maybe you've got a bladder infection. I'm like, I don't have a bladder infection. So she tests for that. Nothing comes up. I'm like, abdominal pain. I said this to the other guy, abdominal pains. So they're just like, they just flick it off like nothing. Just, she said, better sleep hygiene. I'm like, oh my God, if I could make this room any darker, if I could try and get it any quieter, if I could, like, I feel like I'm doing all the things that I'm going through. And so I go back to my GP and they're like, do more iron tests, which I feel like I've been through this hemochromatosis thing like a thousand times. And they're like, it's not hemochromatosis. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And now I'm just like going forward. I feel like I could search out a private rheumatologist in New Zealand and just come up with the same result I feel like I just oh, I don't I don't know <laughs> yeah I don't know the same kind of stories happen in the United States unfortunately yeah my last patient today had a similar story and my resident actually who works with me in training saw her and he said oh yeah this doctor is going to help you <laughs> you wrote a book yeah. about this stuff <laughs> So I saw her again for a second time today, and there's a lot of despair in not just New Zealand, in the whole country. Amy had discovered an interview on another podcast talking about pediatric fibromyalgia that was on YouTube, and she shared her thoughts. I thought it was really good. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it, because that's the one thing with your podcast that's so short that I like. A lot more information. Yeah, 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 yeah. And quite honestly, you'll take one interview and I'll break it into 25, 30 minutes. And I'm, by the time you've been doing this for a while, there will be people coming on the train who, like yourself, has not been there for a year and a half. And if they want to see a topic, they can listen to all three episodes. Yeah. Binge listen. Uh, it's crazy. If you didn't have that, there's just... You're just, you're so in the dark and you're so jump to worst case scenario and you're so go. And it's awful when you literally Google fibromyalgia is a thing. It just, the first thing that pops up is basically that it's chronic, lifelong, basically nothing you can do. You just end up basically feeling the worst. And it's funny because the new GP that I just went to, she just said to me, I said to her, I'm just so sure this is fibromyalgia. And she said, if you want to get a second opinion, get a second opinion. And she said, but you realize there's nothing you can do anyway and there's nothing we can do anyway. And I'm like, 
you know what? That's the worst thing. I've read so much. I've listened to so much. I don't feel like it's the – I definitely had a <laughs> – this is real end-of-the-world shit. So at least I have a bit of hope and a bit of positivity about it. But I've definitely had a couple of years where I've been like, well – and it's just so weird because everything's just – it's just so unpredictable that you can't – it just – you lose that hope when you feel like you can't actually, like, plan ahead anything. Like, if you – thinking of a job in the future, thinking of a holiday in the future. And I think that's the thing. I just wanted someone to go to me. This is what it is. So I could, I had this idea that I would go to at least the first rheumatology appointment or the second rheumatology appointment. And they'd be like, this is what it is. And I could be like, well, then moving forward, this is what I need to do to manage it and make my life as good as it can possibly be. But I think I just walked out of there going, (laughs) yeah. So to summarize, you've been dealing with this for years and you had to wait. Mm-hmm. You finally got seen with a very brief appointment by somebody who was filling in mm-hmm. and didn't think you had anything really wrong with you and mm-hmm. gave you, quote, reassurance mm-hmm. and sent you on your way. So yeah, from I often say this from mm-hmm. zero not satisfied at all to 10 being completely satisfied, how would you have rated that office visit? Absolute zero. Not okay. satisfied at all. No, I definitely wouldn't chuck reassurance in there as a word. It's funny because when they've been going this hemochromatosis thing, which is the iron overload, which I do have high iron, the last blood test the nurse did for me, oh, if you don't hear from us, it's good news. And I'm like, Oh, it's not good news because I just have no idea. No, yeah. How many of the episodes of my podcast have you listened to about? Basically all of them except for the ones that are attached to, what were you reading? Wuthering Heights, no? Gone with the Wind? Yeah, Gone with the Wind. The one that I haven't listened to those ones only because I was like, I'll go back and listen to them in one go on a day when I'm, I do some I do yeah. kind of two jobs. I do some outside yeah. work. So you've listened so to like, most I'm, of them. So if yeah, you listen to the recent one with Dr. Beate Beinvogel about why does my stomach hurt, she says that this is about one of the only times where you as a patient aren't happy when the doctor says, good news, all the tests are normal. Yeah. But, yeah. And yeah. this is one of these, good news, you're fine, so stop yeah. complaining. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so when I endeavored to put this together and writing a book, part of it was recognizing a frustration out there. And I thought, am yeah. I the only person who connects the dots in a sense? Yeah. yeah. And then I thought I should write a book, the podcast and later. And one of the things I thought was, boy, I have mixed feelings because what about all of the people that will be able to read this yeah, don't have a medical doctor that gets this. And that's yeah. why when I talk about the podcast, it's actually meant for your doctor. who Maybe they're neutral. They just don't have the training. They don't know much. Yeah. And to them, it's just not that important of a diagnosis that they want to keep yeah. up to it. And whatever they've been told is, oh, there's nothing you can do. They're hypochondriacs. Maybe they're depressed. And yeah. for people like yourself is you end up having to be an advocate for yourself 
meaning yeah. laying out, okay, here's my widespread pain index. Here's my symptom severity score. Here's my fibromyalgia yeah. impact score when you come into the visit. And you end up having I, to do that. I wish I had that. You emailed me back about the widespread pain index and the SSI. Symptom severity um, score. I, Yes, yeah. I, I think I had so much faith in the second rheumatologist literally just going to me, this is this. I still didn't go in there with any information, but I wish I had walked in with that because when I did that, after you said that, after you emailed that, I wish I'd said that to them. And I'd actually like to write a letter to the hospital, whether it gets listened to or not. Yeah. I. Yeah, yeah. And here's I, the other thing. Many people, by the time they even come to the doctor with symptoms, they've had symptoms that have maybe been less extensive, maybe not the mm. whole body, fatigue not as bad, and often they've been through a lot of challenges in life, so many, mm. their confidence in themselves may be yeah, lower. Yeah. The, the self-advocacy for themselves in life in general can often be knocked down, so it's understandable yeah to go in and not have confidence. And plus part of this is you didn't have this information and now mm-hmm. you found this listening yeah. to the podcast and hopefully have learned a lot. I think that if you've listened to them and you understand them and with the book, uh, way more about yeah. this than most doctors do. Yeah. And at least yeah. feel validated. Yeah. So based on the guidelines, yep. do you meet the criteria? Oh, definitely, 100%. Yep, yep. And I did the uh, that impact. The, the fibromyalgia impact what? questionnaire, yeah. Yeah. Was there something else next to that that was... FIQR, the questionnaire that rates right. how bad is your fibro. Yeah. What and was I'm your like score for that? The, I was uh, just on the edge of the moderate. Moderate? Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love how I've got your book right here. <laughs> yeah. I felt, honestly, once I did that widespread pain index and that's yeah, yeah. severity, I just went, yeah, no, I, yeah, 100%. Those are one of those that you can share with them. And if your score is in the moderate range, you may be doing some things that are helping you. And sometimes it yeah. flares up. And sometimes there is a lot of things that seem like a mystery. It's like the monster and you don't know yeah. what it is. And yeah. I use a metaphor. It's sometimes being blindfolded, bound and tortured for unknown reasons without any recourse to help yeah. yourself get better. So that hopefully in going through the podcast and the book, you can at least take the mask off and understand this better. But then there yeah. are also tools that you can do that are lifestyle yeah. And being active is one yeah. of those, trying to good sleep hygiene. But there are other conditions that are often coexisting and sometimes appropriate medications may be needed. Mm-hmm. And that's where getting a doctor involved is important as well. Yeah, it's funny because I think because I've been reading so much and listening to so much, and as far as lifestyle and diet and things like that, so when I went to the orthopedic specialist and he said it was inflammation, because I've had symptoms of this in the last five years, I had bits and pieces and then like really full on 
two years ago. But so when I switched to being completely vegan, I was getting really bad abdominal pains night after night, and it went on for months and months, say like seven months. But I wasn't associating it with food in any way. I just couldn't figure out what was going on. But then I ended up doing that low, the low FODMAP thing. So we cut out all the foods and then go back and add a yeah, food yeah. every week. Yeah, and it was actually, I've just got like sensitivities to something and fruit and something and cashews. But there was over months, and I honestly I felt like I needed an ambulance in the middle of the night, like every single night after night. It was, it was just crazy. So when you were initially went 100% vegan, you had abdominal pain? Yeah, yeah. I read a book, and I was doing a lot of recipes from a chick who'd had an autoimmune disease, and because I thought I had an autoimmune disease, and she just basically said, this sort of go vegan, they're great recipes, but eat as much fruit as you want. And I just started eating lots and lots of fruit. And I'm in an area that's all orchards, vineyards. Yeah, that sort of thing. But it was definitely the, yeah, the fruit and that. But it's funny, I've eaten that stuff my whole life. It's just now, it's like now the the clothes I wear, the sheets I have, everything's just so sensitive. I've always been a person who can really handle a lot of I work as a chef I can handle a lot of noise a lot of I can multitask I can the bed's not made I live looking after my mum in another house on the same property and that house is quite chaotic and I've always been like quite like chaos and now I just find I'm just like Every grain of sand's got to be out of because this is really sandy around here. Every grain of sand's got to be out of the bed. I can't wear stuff that's not cotton. I can't deal with two dogs that are just running in a lounge. I can't. Yeah, and I think that's what I really hate. I really dislike that. I feel like changing my personality, and it's like nobody understands um, why I'm being. I feel like I just seem really uptight because I just can't. I can't deal with all of that. Where once upon a time. That was the life I enjoyed. I liked a lot of noise, and that's what sucks about not having a diagnosis is you got these people that are, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting like that? Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, 100% makes a lot of sense. Mm. And Mm. a lot of times things can gradually change over time. Most Mm. people who have fibro were extremely active when they were younger. Mm. And thrive when they're at very high levels of activity. Like their normal where they thrive the best when they didn't have any issues is usually a very active life during the day and a very active life after work. And they can tolerate it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Yeah, I think that's what contributed to this. That actually is therapeutic. Yeah. But when you, for whatever reason, maybe get COVID, you get an illness, something that slows you down give birth, Mm. have a baby, get injured at work, something like that. And you can't be as active. And Mm. then life challenges, life stresses can make it more difficult. Mm. And 
there are a lot of coexisting issues that go along with this and that hypersensitive nervous system mm. is not just pain. Like, oh, I can feel a tag on my shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody yeah. is now more sensitive. I asked Amy if she had restless leg syndrome. I've definitely got restless leg in my sleep. My sleep's terrible. And I. So what are you taking like, for it? I've got gabapentin. And the only reason I got given gabapentin and melatonin, and I take so many supplements, I'm really like. Sure. So um, you take it, and does it work? I mean, it does, but I've got a bit of a thing about taking drugs, which is possibly half my problem as well, because half of the issue of, I believe, why I got this, which I found it really weirdly coincidental that you put my letter on the podcast that the guy had come off Suboxone, because mm. I came off Suboxone in five years ago, which is, I think, the start of this. And I was having abdominal pains, but it was like really bad period pains. And I thought, because I'm 45 now, and I'm just going into my 40s, I thought I had some like period menopausal thing. And then a couple of years later, I had, I just went Ugh, with everything because I'd gone through years of addiction and got off Suboxone. And I was in this job with my partner, and my partner's got the issues that are my issues that are okay addiction issues and so he was coming off methadone and I didn't want him to and all this I just felt like everything was on me but so I ditched my job because I was working with him we're literally two chefs working in a kitchen together so I'm just like everything's wrong gotta ditch this so I just throw my whole life out and go to restart again but you know <laughs> wherever you go there you are take yourself with you so after a few months, I went into another chefing job and basically did the same thing to work 14-hour shifts. And I was also running like 10Ks a day. And But I, yeah, I had the flow and then I got really sore shoulders. And because I was running all the time, like I was running 20K, I just was obsessive. I was obsessive about yoga and I was obsessive about running. So I was like, I'd do a 14-hour chefing shift and I'd shove yoga and running either side of it. And can I ask you a question? Just to clarify, post an addiction, an opioid addiction, mm-hmm. you were on Suboxone, you weaned mm-hmm. off, and then you started having some struggles at some point with mm-hmm. abdominal pain, pelvic pain, period pain. And mm-hmm. then you started to run a lot and do a lot of mm-hmm. yoga on top of your regular work. Is that the time yeah. frame? And I guess that was where I was going with the start of this was the fact that the only reason I got given gabapentin was because I had a wisdom tooth pulled out back in February and the doctors wouldn't give me anything because I'm an ex-addict, like literally nothing. And I had the dry socket thing. And I guess because of my, what I think is vibrant. I had a month's worth of just unreal pain from this wisdom tooth. And, yeah, so the doctor was literally like, no, ex-addict, we're literally paracetamol, nothing else. And then I was just like in tears because they'd given me gabapentin at another time for alcohol withdrawal. 
she said, we can give you the small amount of gabapentin. And I was like, I'll take anything. But then recently, I just, I couldn't deal with this doctor. I just walked in feeling like an addict. It was just awful. I just wanted to shake my past. But so I went to a different doctor and the different doctor literally looked at what they'd given me in the past, and she said, oh, they gave you gabapentin. Because I was going in for melatonin, I just said, I just can't sleep. What dose of the gabapentin are you using now? Because I'm trying not to take it all the time, I'm trying to just take 600. Okay. She she dosed me at, because I recently went back to the doctor because my sleep's just gotten so bad, and I just thought maybe there's something else I could take in between, and then she put my dose up to six three hundreds a day which i just it's a lot 900 milligrams you said three of the oh two three hundreds three times a day oh yeah yeah. that is one of the treatments for fibro actually is yeah and there was the thing i was and it helps with alcohol withdrawal potentially often during the day we'll use a lower dose so we might use 300 milligrams in the morning and afternoon, and then do 600, or if you're having a hard time sleeping, somebody might do 900 at night. All of this stress that I think contributed to all of my stuff, my partner's got pancreatitis. So you got fibro. Okay, you got a chance to talk to a doctor halfway around the world. If nobody knew what a migraine was, and then you read about migraines, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, I got one of those, and it comes and yeah. goes, and they're bad. We know what those yeah. are. Okay, you have this. I've seen these TikTok videos like, you don't want to be diagnosed with fibro because there's nothing you can do for it. And so part of it, sometimes doctors don't want to diagnose it. So you're like, so how do we treat it? I don't know. Nobody knows how to treat it because it's complicated. And it's not like the simple medical model, which is here, take this medicine and your urinary tract infection gets better. Here's a simple solution. But the clues were there. You shouldn't feel like you have to move, toss, turn. They shouldn't feel achy and you can fall and hopefully stay asleep comfortably. And you wake up fairly rested. And it's interesting. I didn't know how much Jake's story would resonate. I wonder if there's more people out there. That's not like everybody who's got fibro has had an addiction. But I think that when you look at chronic opioid use, there's a lot of people who are really self-medicating a fibromyalgia type problem and they're self-medicating with opioids. I haven't done an episode on opioids, but I talk about it in the book. They don't help. They make the symptoms worse. Just like alcohol yeah. doesn't help anxiety except in the moment, but then you develop a tolerance and you need more and more. So that's what I would say is that for you, you have somebody who's prescribing the gabapentin and what you can say is, Hey, do you know I have RLS and this helps my legs relax? And you have a doctor who's okay with prescribing that. They're like, good. And then you go, I do feel better when I exercise and I'm motivated. So I'll keep doing that. And, I, and eating a vegan diet's good. But if you aren't used to eating it, starting it overnight is going to often cause your stomach bloating. Just like exercise is great. But if you're only getting a thousand steps and then you run a 20K, you're going to be mm. terribly sore the next day. But if you train and you gradually build up, then mm. you start functioning better. And do you reckon with the sensitivities, if you do get food sensitivities like that, like I was saying, that vegan food, do you think if I try and do you think it's like a full life thing? If you get bloating or gas pain, 
it's just it's not a rash you're not swelling your lips don't swell it's just short of breath it just feels like period pain it just feels like the worst kind of period pain like just so it's probably your, your body's not used to that and mm. you're not used to that amount of fiber. So you have to gradually increase for people who have sensitive intestines. And actually, mm. when you're taking the gabapentin, it can help. There's other medicines that work together. I talk about those okay. in the book. But hopefully you can be an advocate in the end. Go, oh, we have an explanation. This makes sense. It's not all in my head. I think that yeah. listening to the podcast, and if you have coexisting ADHD, treating that, it can help you focus and listen and organize and not be as overwhelmed and put you in the best mm. position to be as healthy as you can. It sounds like you're at least in a country who at least treats these coexisting conditions, and you already are on some medicines that are helping some, but mm. they were started for half the right reason, but not the full right yeah. reason. So they did a very I, good job Yeah, in some I ways. But they did a good job in not writing sure. an opioid to you, but they didn't abandon you, and they wrote gabapentin. Oh, yeah, completely. And so, they, yeah, so whoever yeah. who wrote the gabapentin yeah. for you? So Your the second, like a, a yeah, just a GP, like the yeah. same practice that I go to. I just swapped yeah. off. Yeah. Off so you can say, "Hey, thanks," and you follow up, and then that's the one. You come in with this information, mm-hmm. and you say, "You know what? That gabapentin's been treating this restless leg that I've had, and it's really working well." And it's part of this fiber. And you can share the book. You can share the information if you want to read more. And they don't want to give you an opioid. We're not putting you on chronic opioids. But if you're like, oh, no, these are medicines that aren't opioids, you might be somebody who ends up putting a positive spin on what fibro is. So that doctor mm. ends up you being a success story. And you're like, oh, why have other people like you? Maybe I'll ask them. How was your sleep? Mm. Do your legs bother you? How did you do in school? How's your focus mm. and concentration? And then that's where hopefully it becomes common. But the rheumatologist is used to lupus, rheumatoid arthritis with mm. real inflammation. So it's good you don't have erosions of your joints, right? Nobody wants yeah. that. That's but uh, it's, but the second yeah. most common diagnosis for rheumatology is fibro. But when you get diagnosed, if you can diagnose something, you think you can treat it. And if you can't treat something, you don't want to talk about it a lot. And so they're probably in a triage, quick, get through, and you're like, you're fine. You don't have this bad things. Just relax. That's all you wanted. And so in some sense, it's understandable, but now you want to have an answer. And that's where hopefully these offer some answers and that there's this comprehensive solution that when I talk about weaving the best of lifestyle medicine, that's regular exercise, it's education, understanding this is all part of this, your brain's wired differently and offering some hope. If you listen to last week and this week's podcast, Dr. Martorella gave a lot of good information about this. And yeah, and it so, was good. Actually, it was really positive. You say about education and getting education on it, like getting some knowledge on it at, makes such a difference to your mindset and you know that thing about facebook groups i've heard that with facebook groups before just don't go on them because if you want negativity and to feel like things aren't gonna be better and you're really it's just so weird with this because 
you just that affects you so much when God, you need so much positivity, and it is that thing of listening to podcasts. And that on a day I work outside, I can be listening to some kind of something else, podcast, whatever, music, and I can, I can just feel everything. And then I can listen to your podcast that has like a positive message or makes me feel like it's not. I know. And it's funny how you can just forget that, and I'm just working and I'm just listening to something and sun's shining and whatever, and life's fine. Not being fine is good. Yeah, yeah. And it's just amazing with this, that negative mindset just really feeds into your sickness, your pain. And it's funny, that's when, what I was thinking, sorry, back to what I was thinking about people at work, and I would hear those girls, they had headaches and they had stomach pains. And I was never like that, but I was always a real sort of suck it up person too. But I just think with them too, because they're young, they're only in their 20s, and I just, I want them to look after themselves and I want them to know about this too because I wish they knew that and I wish that people could realise that this is, if you keep living, you have those pains and you're really stressed in life and you don't get on top of it if I realize this is a reality like this is what happens at the end of a whole bunch of chronic stress I believe for me and it's funny because I was saying I went and studied and did the mental health and addiction course I had a really close relationship with my tutor and she was working up this way because the course was three hours away and I was like commuting every week and I had a good relationship with her and she came up and did work here and when this happened in, say, six months down the track or whatever into it, and I thought I had fibromyalgia, I said to her, and she's a tutor in mental health, and she's 70, and I said to her, I think I've got fibromyalgia. And she just went, don't be stupid. That's from trauma. And I was like, wow. She knows me well. She knows my story. I've lived like... 25 years of addiction. I like overdosed on heroin when I was 19 and I've gone through all of this and to come out of like addiction feeling like I was so strong and running and being like proud of myself for being this physical person and having this kind of identity as I'm this physical person. I do yoga. I can work outside. I can do all this. And then having this person just go, and I'm living this relationship at home with a guy who's sick. I live on a piece of land where I look after my mum. And, yeah, and I'm like, don't put trauma in the, like, that chronic stress thing is, this is, <laughs> I believe this is a result of chronic stress. And I think it's quite easily done to yourself. And I can definitely see it in other people that they could potentially have signs of it so, and go so down the same road. If I can mm. touch on that, somebody who's inherited a vulnerable nervous system, a style and how the brain and central nervous system operates, mm. and then exposures can unmask somebody's vulnerability. So it can contribute, and there's different types of stress from sexual, wartime, those are the big mm. ones, right? Getting raped, being mm. a soldier, but... Caring for an ailing parent, mm. uh, living with somebody yeah. who's a drug addict or alcoholic, mm -hmm. having a boss at work that yells at you, 
Yeah. And there's all different types of things that can contribute, but there's a certain genetic inheritance. I need to take a cholesterol medicine. I'm genetically prone to heart attacks and I eat a plant-based diet. So I take a medicine. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means be thankful that you have medications that can help. Thankful Mm. that you have an understanding of how it works. If you listen to Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with Mm. the Wind, a hundred years ago, she was like your coworkers who are in their early 20s who are struggling. And they're often, when I say fibromyalgia didn't start when you were 45, it started often when you were a kid. Yeah. And so wouldn't it have been better to figure it out when you're 20? Yeah. But Margaret Mitchell, all of the stuff she went through, they took out teeth because they didn't know what to do. Maybe your teeth are infected. Let's take them out. That's why you hurt. They didn't have the answers. So a hundred years later, we have a better understanding of things. I shared information about a important health study looking at the role of eating a plant-based diet that was done in New Zealand. The broad study was done in New Zealand and they took the natives who, New Zealanders who, it's an acronym, B-R-O-A-D, broad diet study. You can look it up. You want to write it down quick before you forget? Yeah. The broad study out of New Zealand. And they taught people how to eat healthy vegan. They lost weight and they kept it off and they kept losing weight. It's one of the best studies demonstrating great effects of eating a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. And weight weight loss helps. Obviously, vegan is something, a word that uh, is heard of in New Zealand. I can easily go. I can easily go vegan. I cook for my mum and my sister every night. I live in like some little sheds, like, and this I've lived without power and I've lived without water and stuff for eight years now. And yeah, yeah I go up to this house up the end. Yeah, and it's fun. It's funny. The only reason I think I keep cooking meat in that is just that thing where I have that. It's not an obligation, but it's kind of, I feel like I have to just, it's like I feed my family up the top that what they expect or something. I'd rather be eating vegan. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tool and you go, oh, I feel better. My wife was just listening to a talk about diet and mental health. And so when we're stressed, we often grab food that uh, makes us feel good in the short term, but doesn't help us in the long term. And so hopefully you can have benefits long-term when it comes Mm. to as one tool, you know, each intervention. Oh, that helped a little, that helped a little. You follow the five rounds of pack score. Oh, I'm getting better over time. Wow. And then when you're better, you're like, wow. And I think hopefully if you share this information with your doctor, do you think you're going to do that? Yeah, I I think I'll try and see. She's a funny sort of doctor in the way the only the thing I'm liking is something I, I usually wouldn't like about a doctor is that she's like really remote and quite clinical. And I think because I was getting, because I was getting upset over not about how I was feeling and not getting any answers. I hated going to the other doctor and it's almost like because she's so removed it's almost easier just to say whatever because 
is not. Oh yeah, but I, I think so. Maybe um, you bring in the information, mm. you share that, you have this. Here's the mm-hmm. things that are going on that you think you have. Write down yeah. your story, and hopefully, she'll be like, "Oh, that's interesting. Where'd you learn that from?" Yeah. Then you have that confidence. And it can take the stigma. The two biggest health conditions that I take care of are ADHD and fibro. Mm -hmm. And they're completely misunderstood. They're stigmatized Mm -hmm. and people don't know how to handle them. And so people feel stigmatized by having these Mm -hmm. kind of embarrassed. And what is this? And, oh, it's just trauma. You don't have that. And unfortunately, that 70-year-old woman who said that doesn't understand fibro in the way we have. Because there's a lot of stigma around it of people who are practically disabled yeah did you listen to the episode where we talk about movement as medicine oh rose howard yeah yeah i looked her up afterwards too yeah and it's interesting eh? that movement thing like i just i guess it's a i guess like my biggest i wish i just want to get proper sleep and i just want to be able to exercise in a way that's balanced that I can do it without. Yep. So I think you're on the right track with the gabapentin. You are on the right track with eating healthy You're on track with exercise and being aware. And then you just have to know how to use those properly Mm -hmm. and have a doctor who, if they're like, they may be more clinical But if you share, here's the information. Unfortunately, you have to be an advocate and lead the doctor to doing this. Mm, Yeah. And if you share this and bring in the book, have the podcast, listen, share this, and hopefully the doctor, and that's why I truly want to have not as a quack doctor, but as a doctor who's, oh, that's good. It's That's some really good information. And hopefully they'll be humble enough to go, that's pretty cool. So this doctor talked to you? Yeah. Yeah. Just a nice guy. He just he must have caught him on a good day. Felt so, <laughs> He felt sorry for me. Yeah. <laughs> I told someone at work that this was happening, and she went, in the U.S., a doctor. And I, I don't actually think she believed me. And it's funny because I said to my partner, he said 9 o'clock. But I feel like he'll probably get busy and this probably won't happen. So <laughs> All right. Well, I hope it's a good thing. And I'll have to share this if I put it together on a podcast. As I say, yeah. there's lots of people going through this similar story. And I think hearing stories, don't you think, offers some help? Yeah. But I hope that you leave here vigorated mm. that hey, there are some doctors out there, at least a couple in the States, and he'll never be able to see me, but mm-hmm. at least he can help point me into some right directions, help me understand this and get through it and mm-hmm. look on the positive side of things. Thank you again, Amy, for sharing your story with myself and with the rest of Fibro Nation. You can bet that there are many out there listening who can identify with much of what you've gone through. I hope that at a minimum, they feel validated that they aren't the only ones going through it, just like you aren't the only ones going through this, whether they're doing the mundane things of life, like doing the laundry, driving to work, maybe be inspired a little bit. And I hope for your partners out there who don't have this, but want to learn more that you can help understand 
what the experience is like living with fibromyalgia and all the frustrations, but also the possible hope for getting better. And also, if you're in the medical community, that you can help grow in your understanding, empathy, and compassion to help care for your next patient who has fibromyalgia or one of the related problems. If you have enjoyed this podcast, one of the best things you can do is hit the like, follow, leave a five-star rating and review, and share it with others. That way, more people can hear stories and information like we've had on this episode and others. Well, Fibro Nation, until next week, go Team Fibro. Fibro.